This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and as you do that, I just want to read a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 10. So you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and just hold your place there. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, God has got a universe to run. He's got a world to oversee. He's got nations to set, to rise, or to fall. He's got kings to establish. He's got despots to dispose. And yet, in spite of all of that, he has time for the sparrows and the lilies. And in our lives, what that is saying is, that not only does God see the big picture of your life, but he sees all the little, what we may think are incidental things. He sees every piece of the jigsaw of your life. Every little detail. He knows the very hairs of your head. He numbers. Now it is true that much of her prayers should be concerned about the honor, honor and the glory of God. It should be concerned about his reign and his rule and his kingdom and his dominion. And he must be glorified and he must be honored and he must be held in high esteem. And in her prayers, that should be foremost in her prayers that God is glorified. And yet there's space and there's times for our requests and our supplications and our needs to be met because he's the God of the sparrows and he's the God of the lilies. It is not by accident that the very first miracle that Jesus performed was that very practical, down-to-earth miracle in Cana of Galilee. To spare the blushes of that young bridegroom that young, unknown, unnamed couple in that little village, insignificant, just an ordinary five-eighths little couple. And yet Jesus chose that to manifest his glory. It is not by accident also that the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded by all four evangelists is the feeding of the 5,000. Our hungry bellies were filled with good food. So that lets us know that God is really interested in the very simple, practical, down-to-earth needs that we have in this life. Jesus cared about the blind man's eyes, about the deaf man's ears, about the lame man's legs. He cared about all of those things. And the parables reflect his care of us. Uh, who can forget that wonderful trilogy of parables? You know, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. 
And even though to each of them their losses was great, yet they were losses by degrees. The shepherd, it was just 1% he lost. It was just one sheep. He had another 99 in the fold. And of course the woman, she lost one of the 10 coins. That was a 10% loss. And the father, his was a greater loss. He lost 50%. One of his two sons had gone astray. And the woman of Nain, the widow woman of Nain, in Luke 7, she lost 100%. Her only son had died, and they were on the road for his burial when Jesus raised him from the dead. So your need may not seem much in light of somebody else's need to the degree that their need is. It may just be the 1% need. But as far as God is concerned, if it's your need, and it's your problem, and it's your difficulty, then he's really interested. And he wants to come, and he wants to help because it matters to him. He's the God of the sparrows and the God of the lilies. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, <coughs> now there was a certain man of Ramathiam, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came from Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, was also, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now there's no question that Elkanah loved Hannah. And I think he loved her even more than he loved Penina. He gave her a double portion because it loved her, he said. And I think in some ways he was trying to console her. And though his heart was pure and he meant well, but I think he was a little bit insensitive. I think it was obvious why she was sad and tearful. Surely he had seen the taunting of Penina and the shenanigans of, of his other wife against Hannah. But he said it. He was doing his best. But it didn't help her situation. And so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, <laughs> If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. 
another word, he would be a Nazarite. He'd be a holy man all of his life. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, petition of which you have asked him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now whether at that point, because of what Eli said, whether at that point her faith rose up in her heart, and she thought, do you know what? I think God's going to answer the cry of my heart today. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because... I have asked from, for him from the Lord. And now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Elkanah actually had, had broken the law. He had two wives. But this was a time, you must understand, it was a time when every man did what was right in his own sight because there was no king in Israel. And so many laws were broken at this time. And this was one of them. And it would have been better for him if he only had the one wife. Abraham had two women in his life, and look at the trouble he got into Jacob had two wives. Look at the trouble he was into. I think one wife, at least at one time, is enough, isn't it? One husband at one time is enough. Am I in trouble, David? No, you're in trouble. He's in trouble, isn't he? You got a big dig in the ribs there, did you? <laughs> But nonetheless, he's got his two wives. <coughs> and there's tension and problems in the camp. Now, Hannah was a wife, but she was not a mother. She was a husband. She, was a, she had a husband. She had no children. Now, there must have been hundreds, if not thousands, of women in Israel that had no children. For whatever reason, didn't have any children. But in Israel, you have to understand that to be barren was a big issue. Because every woman wanted, particularly a man-child, 
who just might be Messiah. But she didn't have any. So on the surface, she had no children. It just, the story seems quite ordinary and academic. She's just one of many that had no children. But it is an unusual story because we know the end. And we know the reason why she didn't have any children at this point. So it is unusual. And so there are lessons to be learned here about prayer. And that's the heart of what I want to share tonight. There's lessons to be learned here about prayer. This is the first recorded prayer of a woman in Scripture. And so then, as theologians say, the law of first mention applies. Where something is first mentioned in Scripture, there's usually a key in that. There's usually something more in that for us to learn. And it is the first instance in Scripture of a silent prayer. It's recorded. Where no words come out of her mouth. Her lips moved. She's praying in her heart. Now the Bible is disproportionate in recording woman praying. I don't know why that is, because generally in the church, more women pray than men. But it's true. But where it does record it, then it is significant. It's important for us to read it. Now here are some of the lessons I believe that we can learn from this story. First of all, not all prayers are for public consumption. Listen to me. Not all prayers are for public consumption. Some prayers are too private for public consumption. Now, I, I wish everybody in this church came to the prayer meeting. But you don't. But I wish you did. But those of us who do come, we pray for many needs for your needs. And usually we can openly say what the needs are. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's too private to say to an open prayer meeting. And there's maybe some things that you have in your heart that you can't pray openly, that you can't even in a group pray that maybe you can't even pray in with a confidant, with somebody that you really know, that maybe there's other things you've shared with them and can pray about, but there's maybe something that you can't. <clears throat> it's between you and God. It's for his ears only. And this woman was desperate. She wept in anguish. She was in pain on the inside because this great need was not being met. And every year it got worse and worse and worse and worse. Her circumstances mocked her continually because Penina, who seemed to be having a child every year, who would constantly get at her, and particularly when they go up to the feast to the house of the Lord, it was even worse then. And it doesn't tell us, but I would imagine she would remind her how barren she was and how the Lord had closed her womb. That must have been hurtful and painful. 
her failure to conceive was just so evident. And remember, every year she's getting older. So time is ticking on. It's not looking good. Not every prayer of yours will be for public consumption. Thank God if you've got a prayer partner. Thank God if you come to the prayer meeting and pray with others. Thank God even in the meeting, I guess, that you could literally stand up and pray and pray for needs of people that perhaps you know and friends and loved ones. But there's going to be some prayers that's only for you and for God, for his ears only. And that's all right. That's okay. I would encourage you to pray out loud. I would encourage you to verbalize your prayers. I would encourage you in the prayer meeting to pray out loud. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. We, that's the general. That's the norm. But there's going to be times when it will be in your heart. And it will stay in your heart. Like this little woman here. She was desperate. Now here's the good thing. God can hear the prayer of no words. There's some prayers and there's just no words for them. This little woman, she prayed in her heart, her lips moved, but no words come out. She just couldn't find the words anymore to say. She was moved greatly in her spirit. But she just couldn't get any words out. Such was the anguish and the pain of her heart. <sighs> Nothing would come out. And sometimes, sometimes these silent prayers, sometimes it's all we can do. We, we just can't find the words. <coughs> And I can imagine her sitting there in the house of the Lord, right at the very back. Nobody there. It seemed to be there was only her and, and Eli, the, the priest. And I, I can imagine her sitting in the corner and maybe holding, maybe holding herself like this, just wrapping her arms around herself, just, just an agony of spirit, anguish, and just trying to articulate something, but nothing would come out. It was just silent. But God hears the prayer with no words because it's a cry from your heart. Did you ever meet somebody who just blabbered on and on and on and on? You know, they, they, they just, their mouth just never stopped. And, you know, you'd switched off 15 minutes ago and they're still talking. No, that never happens to you. You're, <laughs> you're too spiritual for that to be thinking that way. And you're thinking, for goodness sake, shut up. Let me get a word in here. <laughs> but you know, sometimes we're already got with the Lord. Sometimes we just blabber. We just go on and on and on and on and on and on. And at half time, not even thinking what we're saying. And we think we're praying. Did you ever find yourself doing that? And then you think, what did I just pray there? What did I just say there? It's amazing what the Lord has to put up with, isn't it? Listening us. But let me encourage you. In your times of prayer, I know that most of it we verbalize it, but in your times of prayer, sometimes just take a moment or two and say nothing. 
And just look into your heart and say, Lord, what's in my heart tonight? What, what is in there tonight <coughs> that needs to get out? And sometimes if you just sit quietly and just ask the Holy Spirit to help you, he will. We know in Romans 8, as Pentecostals, we like to quote that. In Romans 8, the groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And as Pentecostals, we often say, well, you see the language, the prayer language of the Spirit, we can use that. But actually, in Romans 8, Paul's not even thinking about tongues. Although we can use that because the Holy Spirit uses that for us. But he talks about groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And I think this little woman here is in that position. She's groaning in the inside, but she hasn't the speech for it. She can't put it into words. How desperate she feels. How difficult this is she's going through. And so she's sitting there. And her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. It's just a, a breath prayer. Did you ever pray a breath prayer? You just breathe, just almost sigh a prayer. Sometimes, and let me say this, I'm saying this reverently. Sometimes all you can say on the inside is, Oh God, the problem's so great. The difficulty's so beyond you. You can't see how it's going to happen, how it's going to work. Oh God. You don't send that verbally, you're saying that in your heart. And in a way you're saying, God, help me. But God hears and answers the prayer with no words because he hears the cry of your heart. He hears the cry of your heart. And so if it's only a sigh or a breath prayer, if it comes from the depth of your spirit, God hears that. He's the God of the sparrows and the lilies. He hears the faintest cry. If God takes the bother to count the hairs on your head, I believe he takes the bother to hear the faintest cry. Parents with new babies are good at this, aren't they? You, you hear your child, just a whimper, you hear it. Except you're out for the count in bed and your husband's on duty that <coughs> night. But generally, even if he was, generally a mother... You're getting a look there, Barkley. I don't know what that look is there, but you're getting one anyway. But generally, the mother especially hears the faintest whimper. You know, in a nursery, and when a woman gives birth, and there's that nursery there, and we've got a midwife here tonight, and she'll understand that all these babies are crying, but a mother can pick up that child's cry. Don't you think God can hear the cry of your heart? Don't you think that tonight? But then here's another thing. See, God's timing was greatly involved here. I know it's a cliche, but it's true, but delays are not denials. And there was a delay here for a purpose that she didn't know. Now, it would have been easier for her and easier for us if God would just say, 
by the way, if it had said 10 years ago or 20 years ago, if it had said to Hannah, by the way, you will have a child one day, but it's going to take a long time because I've got a purpose in you waiting, and Penina's going to give you grief over it, but don't worry about her. Everything's going to be okay. She would have handled that, but he didn't. And it'd be nice if he comes to us and say, by the way, that thing you're worried about, don't even worry about that because I've got all that sorted. Just relax. Here's what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. This is the door that's going to open for you. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go into work tomorrow. Your boss is going to say that. But he doesn't. He doesn't. His timing is involved, and you get tested by his timings. Now, let me tell you something about testing. In school, you learn the lesson then you set the test. In life, you set the test, and then you learn the lesson. And often with God, in your spiritual life, you set the test, and then you learn the lesson. She's setting the test. She's going to learn the lesson okay. It's a wonderful lesson. But at the moment, she's setting the test. Notice it said in verse 5 and 6, the Lord had closed up her womb. So this is not a biological issue. This is a spiritual issue. If it had been a biological issue, that would have been fine. If she had simply been infertile because of some biological problem, fine. Lots and lots of people in that situation. But not her. The Lord had been involved in this, the closing of her womb. She could not have had a child any time before this. The Lord made sure of that. And so it's a spiritual issue. God is testing and God is waiting because God's timing is coming into play. And in verse 17 and 20, it says, The Lord remembered her. Now, when the Bible says the Lord remembered her, it doesn't mean he'd forgotten about her and he suddenly woke up one day and said, there's Hannah. Yeah, you know, I've got to do something about that because we've been waiting a long time. I better rush and do something. No, no, no. When it says the Lord remembered, it means the Lord is going about to do something. His time has come to do something. The Lord remembered Noah. And it was time to do something. And so the timing of God came into this. And often in our prayers, things we're praying for that hasn't happened, often <laughs> it's not a natural problem, it's a spiritual issue. God's timing is involved. But we need to remember that in our situations. And so the Lord's answer to her prayer would come in perfect time. God's time is always perfect time. We may think he's too late, we may think he's too early, but he's always spot on time. He's never one second late in what he does. So what was the problem? What was the timing? Because this was a transitional period for the nation of Israel. This was a major, major transition that was about to happen for the nation of Israel. This was a time of transition between, between theocracy and monarchy, between God raising up a man or a woman and ruling through them like they had with the judges, or 
give us a king like the other nations, they said. And God says, okay, you want a king? I'll get, you'll get a king, okay. And they get Saul. And then they wish they never had asked that, asked for that. Because it was going to change from theocracy to monarchy. It was going to change from judges to prophets. It was going to change from priests to prophets. Because the priesthood under Eli had got to the place that was so corrupt, his two sons were absolute rascals. I mean, they were just terrible. And God was sick, sore, and tired of it. And now he was going to rule through prophets. Yeah, there would be kings, but it would be the prophets who would deal with the kings on behalf of God. So this is a, a tremendous transitional period, and the one who was going to come right in the heart of that transition would be this little baby born to Hannah, little baby Samuel. <coughs> and so all this waiting, all those years of anguish and pain and hurt and all the trouble she went through and all of this here, all of this was about to change when this little baby arrived in the scene. And so, little Samuel was born. Now, when little Samuel was born, she kept him for probably three years till he was weaned. Some say 13, but most commentators don't believe that. They say, but three years. And when it came time to, to go to the house of the Lord to make a sacrifice, for him and to leave him there she brought three bullocks and a peace offering maybe a bullock for each year and she would take him because she had promised him unto the Lord for the rest of his life and she would take him and give him to Eli to be in God's house where he would grow up there and work in God's house and you know what happened when Samuel was just a wee boy how that God spoke to him prophetically to speak to Eli, to speak to the whole nation of Israel. The ears of all Israel will tingle at this. Now listen, Eli was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. Now Moses was a prophet, but not like unto Samuel. And Samuel would be the one who would begin the school of the prophets that would be carried on by Elijah and Elisha. So this is the transition. This is why the wait... This is why she couldn't have a child to right now. God was waiting, and she was tested all those years, trusting, tested, testing, believing, hoping, crying on the inside. And then suddenly, God remembered Hannah. Now was the time to move. And now was the time for that long hell prayer to be answered. And what an answer it was. What an answer it was. You know, it's important that maybe when she made that vow that day in the temple, Lord, if you give me a child, if you give me a man-child, I'll give him back to you. That was a big thing. Penina had a whole lot of kids. He wasn't about to give anything to anybody. But this woman, she just wanted a child, a man-child. She says, Lord, if you just give me one man-child, I'll, I'll promise you, I'll give him back to you. Maybe God was waiting also in the timings of God for that vow to happen. For the thing that she so desperately wanted, would she be prepared before she got it 
to give it to the Lord. I wonder if the thing you so desperately want, would you be prepared, if you had it tomorrow, would you give it unto the Lord for his use and for his glory? Now here's the wonderful thing also. Blessings follow breakthroughs. Blessings follow breakthroughs. Whenever she got this blessing, sorry, whenever she got this breakthrough, what blessings began to follow from that? Sometimes it takes a long, long time to get the breakthrough you want, but when you get it, then the blessings begin to follow. <laughs> then you're overrun with blessings. Did you ever find that? That God opens that one door and suddenly lots of doors open? God makes that one thing happen and suddenly lots of things happen? That you waited for, things you never even thought about happens? Blessings follow breakthroughs. In the first chapter... whenever you begin to read and to see what was happening. And then you turn to chapter 2 and see the blessings after the breakthrough. She begins to suddenly pray this magnificent prayer, a prayer of praise, a prayer that would glorify God. And now she has found her voice and now she's shouting, she's rejoicing, she's praying on the top of her voice. You couldn't shut her up now if you tried. <laughs> and sometimes that's like us. If God gives us a breakthrough and we get the blessing, we want to testify, we want to tell everybody, do you know what the Lord has done for me? And that's what she's doing. She's saying to everybody, listen to what the Lord has done for me. And she's found her voice. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now generally, the, the horn means your, your strength, your power, your authority. Exalted in the Lord. But you know, I was reading one of those little books and customs, you know, in the Holy Lands. And I came across this. And it said, you know, that, that women generally wore veils. And women of Israel, they wore veils. And they had a little silver or metal horn on their veil. And you know, obviously to, to keep the veil a little bit from their face so they could see and, and it wasn't smothering them in that sense. So this little, this little horn, silver horn. And if it was a woman with no child, then it was low down, almost horizontal. But when they got a child, they put the horn up vertically and everybody saw that and they say see her over there she's a woman she's a wife but she has no children but he see her look where her horn is she's got a child my horn is exalted she says I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation for the first time in years she could smile at Penina. <laughs> up, up, up until she got pregnant, <laughs> she could hardly look at Penina. Uh, I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure that there was looks of daggers sometimes 
especially when Panina was going at her. But now she doesn't care. Now she's got a, now she's got a baby. Now she can smile at Panina. She can say, see what the Lord has done for me. <laughs> and whenever the Lord gives you a blessing, you want to show it off, don't you? You want to testify and say, see what the Lord has done. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like you. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. I wonder, is that a dig at Panina? For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barn has borne seven. You know, after she had Samuel, she went on to have three more sons and two more daughters. So she got six. Didn't quite get to the seven. Almost got there. Even the barn has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. Maybe that's another dig at Panina. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap. The King James says, he lifts the beggar from the dung heap. Now that's interesting. Because often in those days, what people would do is they would get the camel dung or the cow dung that would have straw in it and they would dry it out and they'd light a fire with it. And if you're very, very poor and the only job you could get sometimes was going out looking for the cow pots, not a very nice job, drying them out and selling them off for fuel for the fire. If you were very poor and you're right down at that lowest level of society, but what happens? He lifts the beggar from the dung heap and set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. Hallelujah. God is the God of the sparrows and the lilies, Amen. the insignificant, the have-nots. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them, and he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Note this. He will give strength to his king. Well, there is no kingship. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Huh. In the midst of her praying, in the midst of her praising, she begins to prophesy. And she's prophesying about the king, the anointed one. Guess who that is? The Lord himself. And this is the first direct messianic prophecy. And it came through Hannah. Yes, Genesis 3.17 talks about the one who would come who would bruise Satan's head. But God said that. Yes, there was types and shadows of Christ that was come, Isaac, the sacrifice, and so forth. Joseph was a type also. But here is a prophetic utterance about the Lord who would come. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli, the priest. And what a mighty prophet he grew up to be. One of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, bar none. When Samuel would go into town, they would say, are you come peaceably? <laughs> That's what prophets were like in those days. <laughs> he didn't mess with prophets in those days. Are you come peaceably? Such was the, the stature of this man of God that was born by that little woman who couldn't even verbalize her prayer. Her lips moved, but nothing came out. See, God is still the God of the sparrows and the lilies. Every prayer that you breathe, God hears. Every need that you have, God sees. No matter how insignificant it is, are not two sparrows so for a farthing? In Luke 12, it says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? If you give two farthings, you get one thrown in free. That's how insignificant they were. But the Bible says that he sees every sparrow that falls. So there's not one need in your life tonight, no matter how great it is, no matter how small it is, that God doesn't see or he doesn't care about. He does. Isn't he a wonderful God? Amen. And he's a God who answers prayer. Joyce's brother was at death's door last week, and I mean death's door. And she prayed, and we prayed. And we prayed fervently for him. We prayed in that prayer meeting. And God has brought him right through. She told me this morning, just during the worship time, that the, the, the doctor said, we thought we were going to lose you. That's how bad it was. You were gone. But thank God for answered prayer. Amen. And some of you, like dear Margaret over there, has been waiting a long time for the answer to that prayer. But we're going to trust and believe that God will answer that too. Amen. And He'll answer your prayer. And He knows your need. What are you going to face this week? Maybe you don't even know yet. You may get a call in the morning. You may get a letter in the post. You don't know, but God knows. He knows, and he's very able to meet that need. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God tonight, that you're a compassionate, caring, loving God. And you know every situation we face today, and even though if we could not even share it with another human being, you know and even, Lord, if we could not articulate it in words, you know, because you hear the cry of our hearts. So, Lord, would you touch every one of us tonight? Whatever every need is that we have got, Lord, would you help and would you come and intervene? And, Lord, would you open doors? And, Lord, would you heal bodies? 
And Lord, would you save precious family souls? Lord, would you bring the backsliders back, the prodigals to return? Lord, there's so many needs that we have that we pray, we cry out to you. And we're going to trust and believe that you will meet every need. To your honor and to your glory and for our good, we ask these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.